Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health Podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard to treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible. Whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people you know who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing, which is really important, is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast. And it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way, iTunes ranks us highly. Other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend, head on over to iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. All right, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey folks, it's Dr. Gersmar. I am lucky enough today to be joined uh, by my good friend and AHS kind of co-conspirator, Dallas Hartwig. You guys may know him. He's one of the co-founders of the uber-popular Whole30 Diet. He's done a lot of work also with Whole9Life. And uh, lately, Dallas has been venturing out into some new territory, exploring uh, some, some thoughts. And in particular, I know lately he's been talking a lot about trying to build a mature and sustainable relationship with social media, which is just such this interesting beast. I know, you know, we're, we're, these days we have unparalleled connectivity. We have information that is, you know, at our fingertips. And yet, and yet, you know, we're seeing more anxiety, more disconnection and, and other issues. And so it's this important question of how do we grapple with these things? So Dallas uh, graciously agreed to come on today. And he and I are going to talk about that and probably many more things. So thanks for coming on, Dallas. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for your generous introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, most people know about you. Um, you know, you and I kind of knew each other back before the whole 30 blew up and you kind of gained your internet fame. I know you've been, uh, you know, working long and hard <laughs> on it for that overnight success, right? <laughs> of course, that's yeah. the way it works. Yeah, you well, know. What's, what's actually kind of funny is that I never really even cared about the kind of success and fame and all that stuff. And it just right. sort of happened. Like, right. We had no vision or, um, you know, kind of even dream really of the whole 30 being what it is today. We were like, hey, like, we've got a tool that works really well. We should share it with people. And then we're like, oh, wow, it actually worked even better than we originally had, had thought. And, you know, as we kind of built resources and built a community around that, um, it's just been, it's been phenomenal to watch. So uh, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, you know, it's fun now, uh, you know. We still get a lot of people approaching us kind of for the paleo thing, but but the Whole30 is one of, you know, has become a surprising and, and awesome, if I might say so, um, entry point for a lot of people. So um, it, it's cool that through that, that vehicle, 
Um, you guys have been able to touch so many people's lives. And it, it's also neat to see, like in this day and age when, and this is going to kind of, I want to approach kind of the social media and a lot of these other aspects through a few different uh, lenses. But in this day and age when, when so much can be hyper scripted and so very micromanaged to, to, to kind of portray that message, right? Uh, that, that this was more an organic thing. That, that well, yeah, it was. Guys. Well, yeah, it was actually completely organic. I mean, you know, uh, up until um, you know, up until a year or two ago, we, we didn't really even have like a marketing plan. Like, you know, we just sort of did our thing, and you know, the world is different. I mean, when we originally launched the whole thirty in two thousand nine, <coughs> excuse me, when we originally launched the whole thirty in two thousand nine, um, the world was such that you know we could create good content, write about stuff, share good information, and just sort of like the sort of the thing just grew naturally, and and the way. The internet works now with marketing and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just a different world. So yeah, yeah, it was a very organic thing. We just wrote on our blog, shared the program. Um, you know, we're really interactive on our social media platforms, and just sort of it just sort of happened. And you know, I've left the whole thirty program. I'm working on some new stuff on my own, kind of under my own banner now. And mm-hmm. what I'm realizing, what's really coming home to me in a really serious way, is. What I did in 2009 and 10 and 11 to grow a brand and a business mm-hmm. and reach doesn't work now. Like it doesn't. I can't use the same strategies, and so that's actually one of the things that's prompted me to really closely examine the way I engage with kind of the world at large, but particularly you know kind of online. Is I don't want to be. I don't want to turn into this you know internet marketing machine with all of the bells and whistles and sales funnels and all the things that like happen on the back end where it just basically becomes this like machine, this vehicle for sales. I still want to do genuine content of stuff that I think is important. But what I'm struggling with is like that's actually a really difficult business to build now compared to what I built the first time. Right. Right. I mean, I think we're saying you know. The, the marketplace is so much m- more crowded now. A lot of people have jumped on and, and getting your and again, kind of how this ties into social media. We're seeing a lot of people, you know, all the clickbait, all the sensationalism, all these different totally. pieces of people trying to get attention because, you know, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Like the, it, we have uh, so many of us have so much input anymore that kind of the the more laid back approach. A organic approach uh, sometimes has a hard time penetrating through to people. For which sure. Is, which oh, is, for sure. Well, and I think, you know, to your point, I th- there's definitely a lot more people wanting a piece of the pie from a sort of commercial standpoint. Sure. Um, and that's understandable, I guess. I mean, everyone's like, hey, like, I want to, I, I care about this thing. I want to make a business of it too. And I can't really fault people for doing that. Sure. On the flip side, I see people that are well I'll just call bluntly opportunists. They're yep. like, oh, you know, this yep. this whole healthy living, whether it's from a paleo approach or a whole thirty approach, like, you know, you talked about whole thirty as a as a foot in the door, as a starting point. And that's how I've always thought about it. I mean, even food in general, I mean, of course, you know, my first book is uh, It Starts with Food back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And even then, like even like I think the title of the book is still really consistent like it starts here it starts with food but there's so much more to it and um, we ended up taking sort of a a five-year detour into food but that wasn't really my original intention you know my original intention was talk about food address it in a fair and balanced and sane and useful way and then move on to other stuff Um, and sort of you know life took a different path but um, yeah I mean I understand that people are like hey there's a big thing happening Um, there's a lot of different ways you know kind of foot in the door if you will and I want to kind of be a part of that, but 
the the grumbly old crotchety part of me is like ah <laughs> uh, they're just they're just opportunists right you know, I see I see my words and concepts repurposed and reworked and paraphrased in you know in in people's content all the time right. you know and to be fair like none of the stuff that I wrote really was truly groundbreaking or original either like there's kind of nothing new under the sun and yet um, you just if if everything is just sort of somebody else's repurposed and reworked stuff. At some point, everything says the same thing, and the only way to kind of establish yourself or differentiate yourself is to make quick fix promises, to appeal to the instant gratification world, right. um, to get to kind of to kind of exaggerate claims and, and whatever. And that's kind of that's really difficult for me to watch because it's so antithetical to what I believe and what I stand for. Um, and yet the biohacking the you know the 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 quick tips for fat loss that kind of stuff really is becoming prevalent and and it's it's hard for me to watch frankly right right yeah it's this interesting for you know anyone listening who's got a business trying to do some something like this there's always that tension right between producing the most authentic content you can um that that you deeply deeply believe in and then having to weigh that against if you will, kind of the marketability of of what you're trying to put across, because you know it's easy to to you know to swing to either side and say like, listen, you know, I need to make a living and this is fair, sure. and like, hey, if I can monetize every aspect of this, then that helps me and my family and my loved ones, and I can give back to the world and blah blah blah, you know, all that stuff. And on the other hand, you know, you 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 want to steer away. Like I, I've been, you know, very much not on that. You know, quick fat loss, quick, you know, quick quick results. Of course, we want people to feel better as fast as possible. Uh, but at the same time, we're balancing trying to, you know, establish these healthy lifetime long habits and pieces, and, and so that um, it's not feel better to be today or lose ten pounds today and gain it all back. Tomorrow, totally. You totally. Know. Well, and that's and that's where where again I kind of I, I'll call the a lot of the folks that I see kind of opportunists. Mm -hmm. A lot of them really do uh, appeal to people's fears, to sure. kind of their concerns, you know, to the social pressures to look a certain way. Um, I don't agree with fear mongering as a way to motivate people to make changes in their life. Yeah, and so much of it is is fear either in terms of. Uh, you know, not having social acceptance where like if you don't look a certain way, you know, it means something about you as a person. And of course, that's what like most of the mainstream marketing is based on, right? Whether you're talking about consumer products or makeup or cars or whatever, like so much of it is this the implication, the underpinning is if you don't buy this product, you're not going to be quite as accepted, loved, valued as a person. Right. And that's a really... A, a tragically prevalent idea in society, and I think that that spills over into the healthy living space, where appealing to people's fears, again, particularly about how they look, right? Like it really comes down to the, the kind of the fat loss, be ripped, bikini body kind of stuff. And to me, that's the same sort of preying on people that happens in more of the kind of mainstream, traditional, or, or conventional uh, marketing space, and. It's just it, it like grates on me to see that in the healthy living space because it's so contrary to what a healthy life would be, you know, to to be concerned so much with how you look. Like, and it really comes right. down to that tension, right? The right. the tension between being healthy and how you look, and in some cases they're quite synonymous, in some cases they're actually very um, oppositional and antagonistic to each other. And 
Right. Um, and that's not a very well-discussed topic in that healthy living space. I think there's not enough discussion around values and priorities um, when it comes to being healthy, having a good quality of life in a sustainable way versus like, hey, like, how do I just want to like, look sexy next week? Right, right. You know, and we're seeing that it's interesting because as sort of the paleo movement or whatever you want to call it, the ancestral health movement or th this kind of movement that you and I have been involved with, as we've seen it kind of grow and mature and change, we're definitely seeing, you know, a whole different variety of growth pains. Like in the beginning, you know, back in the day, it was mostly people who were in the sphere putting out information or content or doing things mostly just because they loved it or they'd seen good results with it. And yeah, you know, people were kind of making a living, but it wasn't sort of the, the dominant thing and sort of we're seeing a variety of trends and one of them is kind of this, you know, how can I make a living? And we're seeing, you know, websites went from just simple blogs to, you know, banner ads and affiliates and all sorts totally. of, you know, people then marketing, uh, you know, their own bars or shakes or supplements or various other things. And, and there's, I mean, you know, we're kind of sounding crotchety. I think there's, there's a place for, for <laughs> I'm actually all, totally, you know? I'm actually totally fine admitting that I'm like old and crotchety, you know, um, well, it's funny because, you know, you know, you and I are having this slightly kind of um, reminiscent conversation of how things used to be. And it's, <laughs> it's funny because, like, it's the tone that I hear my parents talk about the good right. old days, you know. And, um, and it's, you know, for us within this microcosm, this has happened over a much shorter timeline. But sure. I definitely do have some, um, some kind of some, some warm, fond, reminiscent feelings of the way things used to be because it is different. And, um, you know the way things have become increasingly commercialized does really make me, I won't say sad, but concerned um, for the, the movement at large because when people come in with these kind of powerful marketing plans and business plans and kind of make that the focal point, they're going to have, by sheer virtue of like brute force and strategy, they're going to have more influence on the average end user than the people doing good content creation, research, um, and kind of the kind of thought leaders who are just more interested in kind of the academic and intellectual um, that side of things, and right. and that's that's again that's kind of hard for me to watch because either a the opportunists come in and repurpose the other people's content, which happens on a regular basis, or b they come in and distort the message to appeal to people's kind of quick fixes and, and their fears, and that's also kind of hard to watch. So. Right. I don't really know that I have a solution to that. Uh, I can just like stay at home and be crotchety, <laughs> you know. Like I don't really know, but I, I think that you know, in talking to people, um, speaking to people online, and writing on my blog, and talking to people at conferences and, and in places I do presentations, um, I do consistently kind of gently warn people, like, oh, hey, by the way, um, you know, beware of the sort of the the biohacking kind of marketing stuff and. Man, there's people who have cropped up in that paleo and ancestral health space who are supremely good marketers, um, right. but who, from a like ethical standpoint, I just can't support their cause or their movement um, or their kind of their thrust because I just don't see it as being honest with the message that they're selling people. 
Right. I mean, I think at the end of the day, and I, I know this has been difficult for me as a practitioner. So some obviously, you know, like yourself, someone trying to make a living, feed my family, uh, you know, all those kind of pieces of the balance of uh, of acknowledging that that there is some this marketing piece is necessary. And, and again, the way I've kind of viewed it is that it's a it's a technology or a tool and just like any tool, you can put it to good use, you can put it to bad absolutely. use, right? So yep, you, absolutely. Can, you can market total trash and make a ton of money if you do it right. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to, you know, and again, this is kind of sounding old now, man. I mean, we both have kids, so I think we're, <laughs> we've moved into uh, another generation here. But, um, you know, you have to think some about your legacy and about what um, – you know, what what value was your time here? And um, if it was to peddle trash and make a lot of money, that's one piece. If it was to, you know, use marketing in an effective way to really spread um, valuable ideas and life, you know, positive life changing concepts and things, then, um, you know, I think we can use uh, marketing very well. At least that's kind of how I've come to try and balance these things and um you know i think it's not that you know marketing and larger money per se have entered our little microcosm uh but uh, again opportunists have come with it as well and so you know i'm we can point to people who've done marketing very well and helped a lot of people and then people who seem to be taking advantage and using really slick marketing uh pieces to to, that 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 aren't really congruent with the basic values that we're trying to 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 put out there so totally totally um, well it's it's interesting because you know i sometimes kind of check myself because it's easy to sit back and you know sort of my high horse and yeah you know from a distance, judge people's ethics and morals and motivations. And of course, that's not just a like dangerous place to be, but it's also a place that's just not fair to anybody, including myself, where sure. I make assumptions about other people's motivations. So sure. I, do, I do check myself on that, right? Like my right. flinch reaction is to be like, ah, these charlatans selling biohacking stuff that are shortcuts, that, you know. Right. But the reality is I don't know what their motivations are. I don't know their personal situation. I don't know their background. Right. Um, and... There are different styles of reaching people, you know. So I um, have a dear friend who's a very influential food activist, mm-hmm. um, and her style is a very uh, sensationalized, in-your-face um, kind of style that doesn't really resonate with me. And mm-hmm. uh, she reaches a ton of people, way, way more than I have, and um, and she gets people to sit up and take notice, even if the kind of the sensationalized piece isn't my style. And so in talking to her, when I, before I knew her I, and, and knowing of her and, and knowing her work, um, I didn't really, I didn't like that. I didn't like, I mean, I didn't know her as a person, but I didn't like her as a, as a uh, public figure because, for that reason. And then getting to know her and having conversations about um, her deeper motivations, it was an interesting thing because she's like, look, I want to make change in the world on a massive scale. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and for consumers... Um, a lot of it comes down to you have to get people, you know, the average consumer is not really very self-aware, not very alert to what's going on in the marketplace. And she's like, I want to get people to wake up like from, I want to take them from zero to something. Right. And, um, you have to kind of take people by the shoulders and shake them in order to get them to do that. And that's kind of for her, that was the method, her sort of sensationalized method is a way of taking people by the shoulders who are otherwise not that interested in the kind of more 
balanced, careful, methodical, patient, slow-moving stuff. Mm-hmm. And t- she kind of takes them by the shoulders and shakes them. And then once they're a little more awake and alert and engaged with what's going on with food in particular, then the conversation starts to change into, oh, like what are my values around food and health? What are my values around, you know, kind of the way society engages with, let's say, uh, industrial agriculture? You know, how do we, how do we, you know, do deal with that from a societal standpoint? So I actually had a, a great deal more respect for her after understanding her motivations and her very careful rationale for, yes, sensationalizing stuff, um, but kind of seeing a bit, understanding her back-end motivation actually gave me a great deal more respect for her than I had when I was making assumptions about her based on what I knew only in the public eye. So that was a really good lesson for me to pause, take a step back, question my own assumptions, um, because there are different styles, you know, and... Uh, I think there are people who are helped by the, you know, biohacking, get at, you know, get abs with a paleo diet kind of approach. Um, there's people who are helped. There's people who are, whose lives are made better. And sometimes that's the only voice that will resonate with people. Where they are, you know, kind of meeting them where they are, um, that's the only thing that will, will kind of get people. And yeah. I I try to have more <laughs> – in my older age, I try to have more <laughs> – wisdom and compassion for different approaches, different styles, but really ultimately for meeting people where they are. Because sometimes because of people's personal situations, like all they can see, the only piece that they're, you know, that they can can think of as important might be how do I get abs for this to be look good on the beach this summer? Right. Right. And if that's their place, then the right voice for them is the one that <coughs> excuse me. Then the right voice is the one that helps them with that <clears throat> you need some water Pardon my me. friend i do yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know and, and maybe yeah. that's the, the place for them to start and then better things happen from there you know yeah no i mean look really good message and i think you know getting out of the get off my lawn kind of mindset and just saying listen you, you know some compassion and wisdom is important here and again i agree with you if that's where it takes and then hopefully the the again the person uh who, who's trying to reach people has a bit of a game plan and so if it's starting by getting someone a quick you know 10 pound weight loss but then is it possible to help them segue into a, a healthier long-term mindset and so yeah. um i guess you know to all the all the gurus out there who aren't listening to this podcast it's you know please uh you know you can you know if you grab people that's great if you give them kind of that immediate gratification and they you know that's great but you know again can we think more uh, um, you know uh, more values based more holistically here about what is the kind of long-term goal that we're looking for if it's to build healthier people and healthier societies um, then yeah the quick weight loss can be there but we need to you know kind of like Rob and Diana Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers you know kind of trying to push the paleo movement from from the you know how to get abs to let's talk about sustainability right uh, you know not necessarily um, uh, you know, oh, I know when they first started discussing that, there was a lot of kind of uh, um, to the the paleo movement, the ancestral health movement's credit. Um, I'm at least what I'm seeing is that that idea gaining a lot of traction. And so, um, yeah, we start with one place. But, but where are we you know, what's our vision? Where are we looking to take people and everything? I know. Absolutely. Uh, and I think yeah. I think that's I think that's actually a telling 
that's for me that's been a more telling indicator of what people's underlying motivations are as mm-hmm. sort of business people and marketers like mm-hmm. do you meet people where they are and then start to try very like as as rapidly as possible steer them into a place that's much more focused on sustainable health on um sustainable agriculture on the world at large on how they're making the world better or do you just sell them the next product to make another quick buck off of them you know right right um and that's that's been something that i've kind of you know looked around and watched and um they're there definitely are people who do it both ways, who just sell them one thing after another, um, or who you know tell you why your product, their product is the only one that they should be buying, et cetera, et cetera. Like really, really good marketing and salesmanship, and they make a great deal of money doing that, um, but not not someone that I align with and want to support, and whose values I can I can you know kind of get on board with. So right, right, right. it changed. Like it's it's different. Um, I really grapple with this question now because in kind of starting over from scratch from a business perspective and kind of like rebranding and kind of trying to figure out what I do going forward, mm-hmm. I have to figure out what voice I use to talk to people to get them to be interested in what I have to say, right, from like just from a business perspective. Yep. Um, yep. And so I have to kind of really stay true to what's important to me from a values perspective while still trying to find a way to stand out a little bit in the marketplace because, there, like I said, there's such a cacophony of voices now um, that if I say like, here's the way you, uh, can be, you know, here's a, here's a simple, sustainable, basic way to, uh, be healthy long-term, like no one's even going to click that link. Like it's just not something that people are like even, you know, that, that interested in. Right. There's a few here and there. Um, but my interest is not preaching to the choir. My interest is taking people who need to make changes and helping them make those changes, like behavior change, is really my is really what I'm nerding out on these days and mm-hmm. speaking about and writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the foundation for the, the the next big project I'm working on is like really like how do I help people start where they are, make some important changes, and then kind of iterate multiple different um, small changes to make their life better over a long period of time. But that slow, patient, methodical um, system isn't something that is really salesy, right? Right. So right. I'm grappling with it. I, I don't really know what the answer is. I'm still doing that. I'm still kind of in the thick of kind of figuring that out. Um, like I'm, I'm at, I'm at square one from a business plan. Right. Um, but it's a fun place to be, but it's also a little bit of a disillusioning place to be. Cause I'm like, I, I have this sense, this kind of, I guess it's a fear. Yeah. Um, but I have this fear that in preaching something that is, um, sort of antithetical to, you know, quick fix, biohacking, get abs, blah, 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 that like, there's just not going to be a market that I'm just not going to have kind of a really good sustainable business plan. So, right. you know, we all have, you know, concerns and fears. And like I say, we, you know, I have a family to support and um, these are things that I really do grapple with. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, it's telling. Um, I always say, you know, look, I think it's a positive thing that you're grappling with that. Right. Because like I said, it could be just like, okay, I'm starting a new venture. I need it to be successful because like I said, you know, you have your son to feed and you've got your, you know, life to live and everything else. And right. And so I could just, you know, grab, uh, you know, tried and true marketing strategy and just push it out there. But the fact that you're taking time to really think about this and, and, you know, what your message truly is and what your voice. I mean, I think that speaks very highly to you um, as a principled person. Um, So. Let's talk a little bit about kind of social media and some of these aspects. I know you've been talking about that. You've been thinking about that. I wanted to ask, Dallas, so, you know, we were just at Ancestral Health Symposium not too long ago. Uh, shout out to anybody if you uh, 
If you can absolutely make it, I, we highly recommend Ancestral Health Symposium to the 2017. They haven't absolutely. yet f- figured out where it's going to be. Um, there's some talks maybe here in my own neck of the woods, the Pacific Northwest, like Portland, that would Seattle be cool. area. That'd be awesome. Um, I'm going to push for it. Uh, they talked about maybe Arizona, but Arizona in August doesn't sound oh, like no. it doesn't I sound am less, like. <laughs> I am less supportive of that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, but. Uh, you know, a couple things, uh, just again, kind of talking about trying to be intimate and personal connections and everything. One of the things that really stands out for me for Ancestral Health Symposium, because it is a smaller group, there were roughly about 300 people there this year, was the quality of personal engagement uh, of people yeah. there. It really, you know, universally, people are saying, uh, you know, speakers were great, content was good, but the the single most valuable piece was just um, getting that face-to-face personal connection with people absolutely absolutely and that's you know um you know i have some of my like closest friends that were that were there and uh and and some of them traveled from great distances to to be there and Mm -hmm. um and i you know i made it a priority to get there not not i mean to be completely honest not not for the content i didn't go to ancestral health symposium primarily for the content even though the content was really really great yeah um i went for the people you know and um i also uh I'm quite immersed in the the functional medicine world, and it's interesting. I've had similar discussions in that world where I'll talk to really qualified clinicians who come to you know annual conferences and whatnot, and we're like, you know what? Like the thing that we really find most valuable with this is the private conversation, not just like socially, personally, but also professionally, where we're exchanging ideas, right? Um, yep. You know about kind of professional topics. So there is a still very much a a professional bent to it. And so it kind of got got this idea rolling um, of having like an unconference, like a get to like a like a, a an unstructured social get together where there's still you know kind of interesting, thoughtful, qualified, insightful people, um, but where there isn't necessarily you know hours and hours of content. It's just let's get together and like talk about interesting stuff because that's where I've learned some of my most important clinical kind of gems, pearls, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also. From like a values, priorities, finding you know people with, with similar worldviews, like that's where the really good stuff happens. So maybe maybe we need to like have like a an ancestral party. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you right, know, right. Uh, it, it just that is that you know all of those really meaningful connections that are unstructured because like that's where the really good stuff happens for me. Yeah, you almost wonder if you you know something with like small. I mean, I know part of it is just the the completely unstructured. You bump into someone and you start a conversation. You wonder if you almost have um, you know some small group discussions or you do panels like, hey, we're going to talk about X, Y, or Z, like who wants to jump up and be on the panel and discuss. And you wonder if you could sort of have, like you said, kind of a informal, but with some structure around it in some way, right? So it's not just a, you know, I don't know, everybody. Well, it's interesting. So I, yeah, so I went to a a functional medicine summit um, at the very end of July, and I was on a panel discussion there with um, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who's a, a good friend of mine in the UK, mm-hmm. yep. and um, Dr. Kelly Brogan, who's a brilliant psychiatrist out of New York. Right. And the three of us had this really awesome, just sort of rolling conversation that was, you know, a, a kind of part of the part of the programming. Um, but that was the part that I not only enjoyed the most, but in talking to people afterward, that they said they got kind of a lot of the most kind of juice or punch out of um, from the whole thing. And there was some really phenomenal content there, and I was sort of very humbled by the fact that people would even care what I had to say about the topic, but 
Right. Um, but I think a lot of those kind of discussions um, that just sort of happen very spontaneously, like that's where the really good stuff happens. Um, yeah. yeah. And you know, I would love to see. Maybe this is if anyone from the AHS is listening. I would love to see a lot of those just sort of kind of you know public uh, conversations with people um, on that's like generally moderated, but just sort of the interesting conversations where people are not afraid not afraid to engage and disagree and. Um, I don't mean like a structured debate. I just mean like if you and I have a different opinion, we just talk about it, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. kind of make our make our case. Because I think that also is really good for the kind of um, not just, you know, myself or you as people articulating a perspective, but also, uh, you know, people who are observing that. We're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I see kind of some of the back end logic of that now. And, mm -hmm. and that insight is really helpful. At least for me, that's really helpful to see other people's behind-the-scenes logic. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it was interesting at AHS. Um, I, I know I was talking with one of the attendees, and they were talking about one of the speakers, and they were saying that they had actually blocked that person on Twitter and, like, thought they were a giant a-hole and, you know, right. wanted nothing to do with them. They actually... <laughs> went to their talk and um, afterwards were like, wow, I have a whole different, uh, just sort of going back to saying, hey, we all, well, human beings, we're all quick to judge one another and we're totally. all quick to jump on uh, this person's horrible and terrible and, and everything else. But um, when we actually have a chance to, to really meet that person and understand them more in depth, what we find, I think the vast majority of the time is actually... Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot to like about those people, or or totally. at least we have greater understanding of why maybe they're doing some of the some of the negative things. For sure, right? it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. They sort of that that humanizing, compassionate aspect. I um I took a course. This is now probably three or four years ago, um, but part of it, which is sort of a small part of it, but it was a lot of it was um, kind of interpersonal uh, relationship stuff. And one of the exercises we did in this very large group, I think there was like 150 people or something, mm -hmm. is they actually kind of lined people up and uh, had uh, you know kind of two lines of people facing each other in very close proximity, like less than two feet away, very, very close, mm -hmm. like uncomfortably close for someone who's <laughs> like a total stranger. Sure. And the assignment, the exercise was stand with your hands at your sides and without speaking, look into the other person's eyes for 10 minutes. Oof, yeah. And I was like, you're kidding, right? Like 10 minutes? Like what do you do? just like look at them? And they were like, right. yeah, you look at them. Yeah, yeah. And at first I was like, I don't like this. This is dumb. Like I had all this sort of thing. And then, but you know, we did it. Right. And uh, it's funny. So the so we did it a couple different times. The first... Um, the first woman that ended up kind of being placed across from me um, was somebody that in my very judgmental world, I would not have otherwise taken an interest in speaking to, you right, know? Right. And, um, and I actually didn't speak to her but because that was the exercise. But uh, she stood there and we looked at each other for 10 minutes. And there was this really, like, really powerful thing that happened in me in, in, in that exercise because you know, the, the voices in your head and the way you kind of think about people changes really, really rapidly when you're just forced to, like, be there with them in that space, in that very, like, connected space where you don't look away and you don't, you know, make snide remarks or you don't whatever, where you're just there, like, one human with another. And it was this really powerful thing where I'm actually, like, reliving it now. But, like, yeah, like, after a very short time, probably, like, 
30 seconds or a minute, like I was like, oh, like I see you. Like I see this beautiful human that I otherwise wouldn't have taken an interest in even knowing or caring about. Mm -hmm. But there was this really profound opening and, and sort of space that was created between her and I where by the time a few minutes had passed, I was like, I know you. Like I know you. Mm -hmm. And it was a really, a really powerful thing because then, you know, she went and sat down and somebody else came up and I did that same exercise with somebody different. But then as I sort of scanned the group of people sitting down, I would scan and they're all, they're all strangers. I didn't know any of them. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of scan the group. But like when I scanned past her, I was like, Oh, like they had this sensation of like, I knew her, like she was an old friend. Like mm -hmm. I like knew her. Mm -hmm. I'd never spoken a word to her, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but there was this really powerful thing. I'm like, Oh, got it. Like we have this connection. We have this piece. And that was a really, actually a really kind of important exercise for me because it taught me, like, ah, all the stuff that I think about people that's so unfair and judgmental and assumptive. And if I just took the time to, like, be present with somebody, really awesome stuff, kind of reframings can happen. Um, and that's one of, the, one of the many different kind of things that have um, informed my perspective on, on people and has actually influenced, you know, the kind of the way I develop something like the More Social Less Media program, mm -hmm. um, where it really I'm advocating for that powerful present human connection um, that we so often skate right by in, in everyday life. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because we are now more, you know, and again, I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man here. There's a tremendous value in social media and all of the internet connectivity. Um, but again, I think we need to approach it in a thoughtful way. Um, and that's not what's happening. I mean, it's just this mad dash to, well, totally. everybody's, everybody's on this. So therefore, I have to be on it as well. And now, you know, uh, um, it, it becomes more distraction as opposed to connection. Totally. Right. Totally. Well, and I think I think that one of the things that people, I think one of the things that people kind of mistake um, is that they think that you know Facebooking with somebody or text messaging or or whatever, and and communicating information, communicating like you know things like what's going on, mm -hmm. that that is an actual um, replacement for the kind of face to face interaction that goes on when you sit down and have coffee with somebody or have them over and cook dinner for them. Right. Um, it's not the same thing. Right. Like from a electromagnetic neurohormonal connection standpoint, it's not the same thing. We know that the vast majority of interpersonal communication is nonverbal. And when we strip down communication to alphanumeric characters, like we can communicate on Facebook or, you know, uh, Instagram or even text message. Right. You're communicating information, but it's just information. It's just data. And, um, Human connections are not about data. Human connections are about something much bigger and more beautiful than that. Um, and in stripping it down to just data, we've lost the majority of that human connection. And that's something that I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-social media. Um, I use those tools just as much as anybody else. But I think that it's really important to recognize that they are not, it is not a replacement. It's definitely, it's a hologram of a, a real connection, but it's not, it's not the same thing. Right, right. And I mean, I don't want to take anything apart because one of the uh, away from it on some level, because one of the coolest things, of course, is that people can find connection with people who are not local to them. 
right? right? So in other words, you may feel like no one around, you know, one of the common things I heard at the Ancestral Health Symposium was, you know, in my quote unquote real life or my day to day life, um, I'm, I'm weird, right? Because I, I believe right. these totally. kind of paleo stuff and I eat differently from people around me and I, I you know, do these things that are different and, and my friends or my family or the people around me don't really get me and I can come to this place, I can find this connection. Um, and I know for a lot of people, social media can be the same. You know, you can find people with the same desires and likes and dislikes and, and world beliefs and everything else as you, um, and they can literally be on the other side of the planet. And so on the one hand, it allows a degree and sense of connection with people uh, that that wouldn't exist uh, if, if that media wasn't there. Oh. I, th I think on the other hand, I agree with you, it's the sense of, um, you know, there is truly something to literally sitting next to or near to someone and looking them in the eyes and hearing their, you know, hearing their voice. Um, and you can, you know, you can catch an imitation of that, like you said, through text messages or, or updates or various other things. Um, but it is not, uh, you know, a full replacement for right. that, uh, right. for, for that. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. Of course, you know some of my some of my dearest friends are people that I mostly interact with online. I mean, um, some of them live in other continents or other states, um, other countries. Um, but I I do I have thought about this a lot actually, and I wonder. I mean, you know, to your point about you know feeling like we have a tribe in the ancestral health community with people with kind of similar values and worldviews. Mm -hmm. I, I take a step back from that and I think about like any of the, you know, kind of common denominators or, or kind of common values people identify in any of the online, uh, in, you know, communities, whether it's fitness or food or sports or, what, you know, a fantasy gaming, like whatever it is. Right. I think there's, there's even pros and cons in that, right? Because it's, it's important for us to feel like we have a tribe, you know, even I kind of, I've talked about this recently with a friend, but. Even this idea of nationalities, of countries, like it used to be that countries or city-states were a group of people with similar shared values and similar worldviews. Like there was a sort of cohesiveness there. And of course, now that's largely not true um, in this very kind of globalized world. But right. it's important for humans to have a tribe. Mm -hmm. And so that's where something like the ancestral health community is so valuable because we have this tribe with people with similar worldviews and similar values. And yet, the, I'll, I'll actually argue against that in some senses because I think being online has given us the opportunity to unhealthfully select people only with our worldview and to call out anybody with a different mm. perspective mm -hmm. whether it's political perspective or right. just you know kind of view whatever it is right right because there's a difference because even within a tribe you have shared values, but it's not homogeneous. Not everyone thinks the same way. Um, not everything's the same. And I think there is actually a danger in creating a tribe online with people who view the world similarly that ends up actually making us intellectually lazy because we don't engage with people who have considerably different perspectives, right? So mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. politics, American politics is a great example, right? We have these, this very, very polarized um, you know, uh, political spectrum. Right. Um, and I, I don't talk politics on Facebook. That's a ridiculous thing to do. Um, but what's interesting is there's not – I just don't see valuable, constructive, um, respectful political discourse online. Full stop. I don't see, any, I don't see it anywhere. 
And um, so I think even what I do with my, <laughs> I laugh because I do it too. Yeah. Um, but even the way I sort of curate my Facebook feed, if there's people who put out um, stuff on their Facebook feed all the time that is a just a stark, offensive political perspective and you know, something that's so different than mine, like I actually will just unfollow them. Right. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't deal with seeing that all the time. Right. But I, like most other people, um, then I shrink my world. I shrink my world to people who think the same way as me and, you know, and ha- have those similar things. So I think there's a... There's actually a danger in, in having too much similarity um, in our world online. And I think that's the thing that you, of course, don't have in real life. Like if you lived in a, you know, a medieval village of 150 people you know, 500 years ago, you'd have similar life experiences. You'd have a similar kind of worldview just by virtue of growing up in the same geographical region. But sure. you'd have disagreement. And you'd have disagreement with the butcher and the baker and the banker and like all the people that you saw on a regular basis and knew socially and knew, knew professionally – but you'd still have to kind of engage with that in a face-to-face human way. And when you strip all that away and you turn it into digitized information online, I think there's actually a real danger in excessively curating the community and the tribe that you hang out with because I think you do get intellectually lazy. And right. I think that actually supports or promotes um, kind of compartmentalism or elitism or, or um, perspectives that aren't actually very – um, unifying and constructive when dealing with people who do have different perspectives. It becomes a sort of like us against them kind of perspective. And I'm like, that's not, that doesn't sit right with me. I'm like, I would much rather have people engage with difficult conversations in real life because that's how like, it's the discourse and the disagreement. That's how things get better. Not right. through putting ourselves into silos and, and separating ourselves and kind of pigeonholing everybody as much as there is a value in that tribe there is, I think, too much, there is a potential to have too much of a tribe and not enough of an engagement with the broader world. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think on the other side of that, so on the one hand, there's sort of that echo chamber effect where you're just, uh, you know, you're only speaking to people who who have exactly the same beliefs totally. uh, as you. And the other side, I would argue, too, is trolling, right? Which is, uh, you know, people acting terribly, like, <laughs> right. again, like, would you, you know, you, 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 you know, I mean, God, the most vile, like, comments and everything totally. else. And it's like, look, would you actually come up to my face and say that to me? Yep. And, and 99, you know, per, more percent of people would never, you know, they'd never dream of no, doing that. No, totally. But, um, but because of the anonym- uh, anonymity, let me see if I get that word yeah. right, uh, uh, <laughs> the anonymous nature, right? Yep. It's like, I can say whatever I want because, yep. uh, you know, no one knows who I really am. And, of totally. course, that, that's not true actually but well, um, even, even if know. it's not anonymous there's just there's just right. a like you know an online persona and so much of it right. that i see i don't know whether you agree with this actually mm-hmm. i'm curious mm-hmm. um i sure. see it a lot more in men i see a lot more of as like this sort of this online bravado um i don't see as many like ugly female trolls as i do ugly male trolls do you agree with that right i mean definitely it's see of course sometimes you can't tell with names but it well, does right. certainly seem that the majority of trolls seem to be men i mean women and i don't know i, I mean uh, we get into kind of stereotypes here and I, I acknowledge that but you know women tend to be better communicators just as a whole than guys do and i think guys tend to again stereotypically but you know go on the attack if you yeah. will and and um um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems most of that real ugly trolling is is a male behavior. Yeah. Um, well, and for me, yeah. I think a lot of it. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just that that bravado. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, folks, that'll do it for part one of my talk with Dallas Hartwig. We'll be back next week with part two. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as in A-S-P-I-R-E, naturalhealth.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspirenaturalhealth, or check out our library of videos over at YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and punch in Aspire Natural Health. You'll find us there. So a couple great more ways you can check out our free educational materials. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. If you that's you or someone you know, you can always contact us and schedule a free 15-minute consult with myself and find out if we are the right fit and we can help you out with your issues. So simply check us out, check out our website. Again, that's www.aspirenaturalhealth.com or give us a call at 425-202. 7849. You can set up that free 15-minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.